The Blaze Radio Network. On demand. Glenn Beck. The Blaze Radio Network. So on this program, uh, I've been saying for a, a, a while, really, the thing that kind of set this off, two, two people um, that I... I was invited to see Andy Williams. Andy Williams called me. I was in Los Angeles, and he said, Glenn, it's my Christmas show. That Christmas album uh, from Andy Williams was a classic in my family, and it reminded me of my mother uh, for a story we don't have to go into. But it was very, very sentimental to me. And to have Andy Williams call me and say, Glenn, I want you to come out to my Christmas show was so cool. And I didn't do it because we got busy, and there was a snowstorm, so we had to leave. Otherwise, I wouldn't. And he died right after that. And it just it's bothered me when we bought Tokyo Rose's microphone. And I found out that she had died about three years before I was devastated. I would have loved to talk to her, but we just never think that we can talk to people. We need to. I want to talk to remember baby Jessica, not a baby anymore. I'd love to talk to her. I want to talk to the guy who was standing next to George Bush when he grabbed the bullhorn and he said, I hear you and the whole world uh, hears you. Um, I want to talk to that guy. Is he even still alive? So I've been talking about this for a while, and I wanted to introduce you to a guy. His name is Rishi Sharma. He is uh, the founder of a nonprofit group, Heroes of the Second World War. He has the most incredible childhood story I think I've ever heard. Rishi, welcome to the program. Hi, sir. Thank you for having me on to talk about the heroes of the Second World War. So, Rishi, you're 20 now? Yes, sir. Okay. And you live in California. Uh, and well, that's where I grew up. I haven't been back home for the past two years. I've been on the road interviewing World War II veterans every day. That's crazy. So can we take you back, Rishi, to how old were you when you started reading books on World War II? Ever since I was a little kid, sir, I've always been interested in World War II. I would read as many books as I could get my hands on. I would watch the television programs, and uh, I, I just was always fascinated with it. You know, when I was a little kid, all I ever wanted to be was a Marine. But when I thought of a Marine, I thought of an 18-year-old with nothing but the shirt on his back and a rifle in his hand, fighting in the jungles of Guadalcanal or the Sandra de Wajila, this good versus evil fight. And, you know, as I got older, I just really got interested into talking to these veterans. So I started calling some of them up uh, from the books I had read. Okay, now hang on just a second. Wait, 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 Rishi. you got to tell the story right. When you say, when I got older, how old were you when you got older? (laughs) 13? I I think I was 13 or 14. Okay, all right. So you're the ripe old age of 13 years old, and you decide just to start calling the guys out of the blue that you've just read about. Well, yeah, I mean, a lot of the World War II books, you know, it's like memoirs. And so all I would do is I would just look up the veteran's name on Google, and, you know, there would be an online phone book. And I would just call them, and it was such an amazing feeling that I could actually talk to this real person who I'm reading about, and to hear his take on what happened and everything, it made me realize, oh, my God, these heroes are out there. And so uh, uh, when I was in high school, I just started uh, riding my bike to the local retirement homes to start interviewing the veterans in person. Mm-hmm. And I just fell in love with it. And I eventually started uh, 
ditching class to go do interviews because I was learning more from the veterans than I was in school. And uh, by the time I graduated high school, the local paper had done stories about my mission, and I had people calling me and telling me about veterans they knew. I realized that, you know, uh, I should not go to college. I'm learning more doing this, and I'm helping these heroes. So I made it my mission to meet and interview two to three World War II combat veterans every single day until the last one passes away. And to date, I've interviewed just over 870 uh, 870 World War II combat veterans. That's awesome. So this is, the, you're inspiring, just truly inspiring. So, uh, Rishi, um, are you, you're recording these? Yeah, yes, sir. So all of the interviews, they're in-depth filmed interviews of the veterans. What I do is I meet the veteran, we interview, we talk about growing up in the Great Depression, how they heard about Pearl Harbor, but the majority of the interview is focused on their time in combat overseas. And then we wrap it up, you know, with life advice they want to give to future generations and how they want to be remembered. I put those interviews on a DVD. I mail it to the veteran for them and their family. A lot of the veterans uh, are open with their experiences, and they'll let me share it online, like on YouTube, where I'll end up donating it to museums. Uh, we're currently trying to make a TV series about these World War II veterans. I just want people to realize that these heroes are still among us and that, we shouldn't wait until there's only five of them left to give them the media attention that they deserve. Because what I like to say is if a Civil War veteran suddenly came up from the grave, all the world's media would be hounding him, begging for an interview on their knees just for five minutes of his time. They'd be using the nicest cameras, the fanciest equipment. And we have this opportunity with the World War II veterans. You know, everyone has a smartphone with a camera. Instead of caring about what the Kardashians are wearing, we should be caring about recording the experiences of the brave men who fought for our freedom at 18, 19 years old. You know, they were, they were men before they were boys. And I, I just, I mean, the youngest World War II combat veteran is 92 now. So I, I don't know what people are waiting for. We, we have these heroes among us. Uh, I just hope anyone listening to this realizes that you shouldn't wait you know, next year or next month to go interview your grandpa or to go talk to your elderly neighbor. The time is now. You know, you can Re- preserve their stories for, forever. Rishi, you, you said you're going to continue to do this until the last one is gone. Have you done the yes, math? Sir. Have you done the math on that? When, when, what date do we start to be in danger that they're all gone? Well, in all, in all honesty, sir, I can't give you an accurate answer when it comes to math. I can just tell you, in the United States, there's 520,000 World War II veterans still alive. About 300 die every day. Um, and that was from an original number of 16 million of people who served in the war. Now, not everyone was in combat, but, you know, they all served in one way or the other. Um, I expect to be interviewing World War II veterans at least for the next five to seven years. Rishi, what is the, first of all, tell me, tell me individually the most compelling thing that you have heard from one of these guys, and then what you've learned collectively from them. Sure. So um, thank you for asking. So uh, I focus on combat World War II veterans, and some of the stories, you know, I've heard from these veterans, it's just, it makes you really wonder just how bad the world was at one time and just how fortunate we are to be alive today, even with all the problems we have going on today. Uh, I interviewed one veteran in Ohio named James Kretz, whose uh, 
twin brother and him, they served together. And they were best of friends. And they were, I call them the dynamic duo. They each got the Silver Star, which is the third highest award for Valor. Uh, they were fighting the Germans, and they took out four German tanks. They were a bazooka team. They took out four German tanks, three machine gun nests, and three mortar positions so within half an hour. And uh, that was one day. And then about a week later, they were running through a field and right next to one another. And uh, James Krebs' brother, Jack, was shot right next to him. And he was dying. And they were very religious, so, so James was giving his brother the last rite. And as he, as he was performing his last rite, a sniper shot his brother in the neck again and killed him instantly. Mm-hmm. I mean, to imagine, you know, not only to have your brother be killed in the war, but to be right with him when he was killed. You know, uh, I interviewed one veteran. Uh, it, most people in the U.S. aren't familiar with the Bataan Death March. But mm-hmm. basically, we had a bunch of American soldiers in the Philippines uh, during the time of the attack on Pearl Harbor. Mm-hmm. And the Japanese were horrible. They captured these Americans. We fought for four months, but we had to surrender because um, they outnumbered us eight to one. And they, mar- they made 5,000 Americans and about... 50,000 Filipino soldiers who worked with us at the time marched 65 miles without stopping. No food, no water. And I interviewed one veteran. He said that on the march, if they tried to help someone up, you know, who had fallen down, they would be bayoneted. The Japanese guards would randomly just shoot people just for the fun of it. He saw one of his closest friends get pushed in a shallow ditch, and the Japanese guards buried him alive. I mean, they, they were inhumane the way they treated these people. And then after marching to the prisoner of war camp, they were put on a hell ship, uh, which is about like a little cargo ship. And you can imagine a thousand guys in the bottom of a hold. Again, no food, no water. They all had dysentery. And guys were literally dying in the ship, in the hold, and the dead bodies would stay there because they were on their way to Japan. People were licking the sides of the rusty ship for water because mm. of the condensation. And then they were sent to Japan, and he worked as a slave laborer in a Mitsui uh, mine for the next three years. Um, those are just some of the individual mm. stories. I, I, I've been very fortunate. I, I interviewed a veteran up in Oregon. He's a huge hero, still alive, and God willing, he will be for a long time. His name's Robert Maxwell. He's the nation's oldest Medal of Honor recipient. And this heroes, all I can say is he jumped on a grenade knowingly the harm that it would cause him. He jumped on a grenade to save four other men's lives, mm. and he survived. Jeez. And Re- it, it, you know, these are just inspiring stories, but overall, the biggest thing that these veterans have taught me is quickly don't take your time on Earth for granted. <sighs> Make the most use of your time, you know, because you never know when you may not live anymore, you know? We're so fortunate to be alive. We need to make the best of what we have. And uh, we need to make an effort to understand the immense sacrifices that the veterans made for us. And, and I would just like to say, if anyone knows any World War II combat veterans, please reach out. The organization's website is heroes, H-E-R-O-E-S, of the secondworldwar.org. I'm always looking to interview more veterans, and I'm always looking for people to help here in their community. Rishi, I am I'm wow. I am thrilled to be able to talk to you, uh, and uh, we'll be reaching out because I would like to help support you. Heroes of the Second World War dot org. 
is the uh, website. Tell them if there's a vet that you know uh, that needs to be interviewed. Also, you can donate there to help him. HeroesOfTheSecondWorldWar.org slash donate. Glenn Beck. The Blaze Radio Network.